that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Undercast, where people gather around a table and we'll discuss the films that are forgotten and will never find their way into film syllabus. Whether or not they deserve it, we'll talk more about that later. But we're here to talk about American Gangster, a, uh, a production made by uh, director Ridley Scott, starring Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe, continuing our hashtag ABWD marathon. Always be watching Denzel. That's right all the time because king kong got nothing on this podcast and uh yeah or or mr washington or mr washington correct um yeah it's really all his glory and we're just sort of trying to ride the coattails yes as far uh, as of, of, the, of one of our great icons the denzel gospel according to good trash that's but, correct oh man i like that uh and we are decidedly in the icon era of denzel washington now with this film the show so let's identify these disembodied voices addressing your ears right now with this great good trash content. To my left, sir, on the couch, what is your name? My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, the loudest one in the room, is the weakest one in the room. That's an that accurate point. That explains a lot. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, as soon as Frank Lucas said that, I was like, oh, shit. Well, yeah, I know what I got to say, so nobody else can say it to me. <laughs> there it is. All right, uh, sir, on the recliner, as usual, and you know, enthroned uh, here amongst us, what is your name? I am Arthur Gordon, and that is a 20 $25,000 alpaca. You blot that stuff. <laughs> so funny. That's, what are you doing? Blot that. That's funny. My name is Dustin Sells, and everybody's looking at me like it's Christmas, and I'm Santa Claus. And I'm so glad to be here with you all talking American Gangster, a film again from the uh, 2000 aughts that is um, not really all that discussed. It was critically lauded, but did not make a lot of waves in some ways. Um, although um, there's some Oscar nominees and uh, whatnot, and so we'll, we may address some of that later on. But to warn you as to what we do with this show, this is no review show. Oh, no, those guys are amateurs. They're not playing on our level. No, this is an analysis show. And what that therefore means is uh, we are going to have to spoil the film. Dalton just putting out a diss track just to really, <laughs> really just alienate everyone. <laughs> oh, you do reviews. Oh, that's cute. And that's oh, how pedestrian. God damn it. Yeah, you're really just throwing bones at people. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Uh, uh, yikes. Thanks for trying, guys. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> we start a beef with some other podcast. I don't, I, I I don't, don't, I don't, I don't want to beef. You know what? In beef, we lose. Yeah. Because you know what? We are not Denzel Washington. We will not shoot Idris Elba no, on the street. We no, we will not. We're, hey, that's a spoiler. We don't do that. Oh, we don't do that. If I ever met Idris Elba on the street, I'd shake his hand. I, He's I, a great I'm, gentleman. I might see if I can get a hug. And he throws it down hard on the ones and twos. <laughs> yeah, he does. But what we'll do, though, is we will avoid spoilers from this point forward. Sorry about that. Um, and uh, we will give a, a quick synopsis from the voice of the cinema. <laughs> then we'll do our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will be spoiler free. From this point forward. From this point. Spoiler alert. 
token bad guy gets killed. No. Okay. And then after that, we will play a game which might reveal some you know, quasi-spoilers about films uh, in this orbit and also the film itself. But we would generally try to keep that pretty clean. And then once we get down to business, all spoiler bets are off and we do what we do and best. And that's when we get dirty. That's right. We bring that dirty analysis. Brown chicken, brown yeah. cow. That's right. Um, so, Hey, baby. Hey, baby. I like how he calls me baby. It just makes me hey, happy. I know you've been working hard. Take a load off. Yeah. And listen now to put some your analysis. <laughs> you ready to talk about film? Yeah, because that's that's Get the, the that's, that's how me and Doctor Girl. That's that's after a long hard day at work. I say, babe, take take a load off. I'm going to talk about movies for an hour and a half till you get bored and fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> or tell me to shut up. Whichever comes first. They have a troubled relationship, but nonetheless. <laughs> I and think, with Dalton, she always comes first. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm blushing. That happens so rarely. I, I am. So, oh my god, uh, Arthur, you caught me completely off guard. I am so ready for the synopsis right now. <laughs> oh god, can, are you? Can, yes. Can we hear that from the voice of cinema, Mister Arthur Gordon? Let's hear that synopsis right now. In 1970s America, a detective works to bring down the drug empire. Of Frank Lucas, a heroin kingpin from Manhattan, who is smuggling the drug into the country from the Far East. That golden triangle. You got to watch that golden triangle, man. They don't have a fun name for South American heroin. You got your Mideast heroines, the Golden Crescent. You got your Southeast Asian heroines, the Golden Triangle. They don't have a fun one for uh, Mexico and Colombia. You know, I could make one up, but then I would be um, lambasted on the internet, and I'm not going to do that. Good, don't. Because that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Maybe someone was actually wise enough to keep from doing just that. Well, you know, there's no shape. You got a crescent for the countries in the Middle East that make heroin. You got a triangle for the country. There's no shape. It's just Colombia and Mexico. It's the golden tortilla. I oh no! Yeah. It's it's just a line. No. <laughs> if anything, it's a, a churro. But oh, I don't like this. See, this is this doesn't work. This is why we should. There's never... no fun geometric shapes. No one should have done this. Yeah. Well, we've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> yes. So yeah, uh, it's it's a heroin movie. Let's run away from this conversation as quickly as we can. Let's do so. Let's run directly into thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Doctor Arthur Gordon, what say? What do you do? You like the movie American Gangster, and uh, what are your opinions of your viewing experience? I believe Ridley Scott's 2007 crime uh, biography drama American Gangster is a it's a good film. It has a lot of I mean the cast is just knocking it out of the park. I think everybody here is great, and you see a lot of great people before they were anybody's, and some of them still aren't anybody's. Uh, you know, you got John Hawks here, uh, but you got Chiwetel Ejiofor, who has you know gotten a lot bigger. Uh, since Idris, who's gotten a lot bigger, <laughs> Idris Elba, who, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I didn't know who he was the first time I saw this, but now, yes, Idris is probably one of the bigger, uh, people from this, um, considering he opened a movie this year in blockbuster season. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's just, no matter the role, you know, John Hawks is always great and he's, he's, he's yeah. a bit part here, but he's doing great. Uh, Rizza's, you know, doing good. We've got a uh, Ted Levine who I love oh, so much. So good. so good. He's so fun. Uh, and so the cast knocking out of the park. Scott's direction, it's solid. Uh, I, I like this kind of, he does some like nice 70s aesthetic work as well. Mm -hmm. He's not just set in the 70s, but he's kind of doing some like 70s style uh, editing, I think, in direction. And so I appreciate all of that. But I feel like it, this is a two and a half hour movie, and I never really feel that length. I do think it does, does have a good uh, pace. 
but it just doesn't feel like it flows well. It feels yeah. like this is just a bunch of snippets of a story. And, you know, I think I would, you know, off air Dalton mentioned, let's see either more of Denzel's story. Let's see either more of Russell Crowe's story or, you know, find a way to merge them better because it just feels like we're just kind of jumping and jumping and it doesn't really mesh. Uh, but I, I, I'm very intrigued in both stories. I, I, I really like this kind of, uh, kind of moral crisis that, you know, Russell Crowe's dealing with is this, the, the one clean cop in, in New York. Uh, I really like what he's doing with that. Or New Jersey. Or Jersey, yes. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, Whoa. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to get Shots fired. Yeah, 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 we're taking shots at the Jersey listeners. Uh, the Golden Shores. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, uh. I like that, and Denzel's stuff is so great. He's so magnetic, and that story itself. I'm I'm a sucker for these type of gangster rise to power, dirty you know drug movies, whatever. Uh, I, I appreciate all that, and so I like all the pieces, but I don't think uh, it comes together that well. And so it's a fun movie. I mean, not fun, but it's a good movie. It's a good watch, but it's doing stuff that's been done better by other movies in almost every facet. I would say. Um, now, full disclosure, uh, Dalton and I both watched the theatrical cut, um, and Dustin did watch the longer director's cut, which added about 30 minutes, I believe, to the runtime. That is correct. And so I, I know he's going to probably speak to some of those differences uh, of opinion there. Uh, but so far as what this is and what was released you know, to the public and theatrically, I don't think it works that great. Uh, but in, in the scope of this marathon, Denzel's money, and this is a great performance, and I love that kind of you know he 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 talks so big throughout until his talking can't really help him out anymore at the end. And I appreciate you know that kind of arc with his character. Uh, I'm I'm leaning yay. I mean it's it's a good movie. Uh, and I think you know it's, it's it's if it's on it's it's not gonna hurt you to watch it. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down in your review of American Gangster. Uh, I really just kind of want to echo most of Arthur's sentiments because I, I, I'm pretty much in lockstep with him. Uh, it just never coalesces into anything. And I think the only other time I've seen American Gangster, I watched the the unrated extended cut. Um, and I feel like there's there's just so much room for connective tissue in the two and a half hour cut that I feel like the movie could have benefited from. Uh, because, yeah, as soon as you get to a kind of an engaging place in Frank's story, it cuts back to Richie's story. And as soon as Richie's story kind of gets more engaging, it cuts back. It just, they, the, there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason uh, as to when and how Scott and his editors choose to move back and forth between the two stories. They don't try to find any, like, narrative or thematic tissue between the two of them, it feels like. I think the closest it gets to that is that, you know, when it focuses probably in that, the middle to second, third neck of the woods where they're both dealing with Josh Brolin's character, that's the closest the film has to real connective tissue is showing that Richie and Frank are both being hamstringed by this dirty cop, this dirty New York cop played by Josh Brolin. And that's the closest the movie gets to finding a place where it makes sense to go back and forth between the two of them. But even that, it doesn't really stick the landing on, I feel like, because it feels like that character enters those two different stories at such different places uh, chronologically that it does have a hard time bouncing back and forth between. But there's a kind of that second third where the escalation gets a little bit higher uh, on Josh Brolin's end. And it does do a little bit better job of kind of bringing those two stories together through Brolin. But even that, I don't feel like it gets well connected. There is a, a point in the story 
uh, at the very end where, you know, Frank Lucas and Richie um, Robbins, I believe is his last name. I can't remember. Um, yes. But where their stories do become heavily intertwined. And Arthur and I were just talking about that. That's the most interesting thing. Oh, to, to yeah, both of far. us. Yeah. I, and I, it's the shortest part of the movie. Yeah, I would have much preferred to see the two-hour procedural of these two guys knocking down all these dirty cops. Uh, yeah. I think that's more interesting. I mean, the, one of the most interesting aspects of this film is an historical aspect, which is Richie um, stayed on the Frank Lucas case after passing the bar. And while this film is noted for wild historical inaccuracies, one of the things that is accurate is Richie led that task force and then ended up trying the case. That's one of the most interesting aspects about it is this guy that was so committed to justice and making sure that this case in particular was done by the books uh, that he stayed on as a cop, even though he could have become a lawyer to make sure that this got done correctly. And then went and became a lawyer and did one criminal prosecution uh, and then went to be a defense attorney. Um, or I, I, I'm sure in real life he probably did a couple of other uh, cases as a DA. But in the movie, it gives the implication that this was the only work he ever did as a prosecutor, uh, which – while historically inaccurate, I assume, is, you know, more fun narratively. Um, but, yeah, that's the most interesting part of the movie to me um, is how Richie's life changes, how his pursuit of justice changes after he stops being a cop. And it's like maybe 15 minutes. Uh, and that's really frustrating for me for the movie to hold on to one of its most interesting unique aspects of its story uh and just focuses on aping the godfather for you know two hours and 10 minutes and the last 20 kind of focus on this more interesting story i could have done with more of uh but yeah i I mean yes denzel is amazing as he always is uh russell crowe's no slouch russell crowe's quite good in this um i i like his performance and his story quite a bit um but it feels pretty rote it's you know he he was not married uh he did have a divorce but he didn't have a child like they wrote in really standard ass you know, haggard, uh, seeking justice cop. Uh, and it's just like, oh my God, I fucking get it, dude. I've seen an, I've seen Serpico. You know, there's a better version of this movie. They tried to like plug Serpico into The Godfather is what they tried to do. And it just falls flat for me. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. You gentlemen are crazy. I loved this movie. I didn't know where it had been my whole life. All the performances are great. We've already talked about that. I really appreciate uh, really Scott's direction. I mean, just Chiwetel Ejiofor, Cuba Gooding Jr., Denzel Washington on the screen at the same time in scene. the same room. It is. It's a good yeah. scene. I need so much of this in my life. Uh, Idris Elba, so many of the great character actors that are throughout the film. It's wonderful. The use of gospel musical cues there is a moment where what a mighty fortress is our god is playing alongside all of these people dying of overdoses to heroin and some other information sort of being conveyed do we get that i don't think we got i don't that. remember that yeah uh, that would okay. have been awesome that that the man and then the, obviously the uh the, the pickups with amazing grace playing yeah uh, so yeah. so yeah. there's a similar sort of move there I, I didn't like the amazing grace as well as i did the what a mighty fortress bit uh, i really 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 enjoyed it and i felt like this watching the longer version so i may i I'm not experiencing some of the lack of connective tissue I think some of you guys are talking about. It really did feel like novelistic cinema. It was very much experiencing a a better written Mario Puzo novel, you know, with those Godfather references heavily, heavily Mm -hmm. playing in. But if Puzo was a better writer and was screenwriting a film, this is the movie that we would get. And it's exactly my jam. It's up my alley. It's stuff I really, really dig. And that's that's something that was disappointing for me because I like Steve Zalian, generally speaking, as a screenwriter. He's the sole credited uh, writer on the film. Um, and I generally like him. And I think he's good at these kind of like, you know, Moneyball. I mean, he's he's pretty good at these 
these far-reaching, twisting narratives. But for me, it just fell flat, and you know, it's not helped by. In the same week, I finally uh, caught up with Seven Samurai, uh, for the Kurosawa film, for the first time. That movie's an hour longer than the theatrical cut. And not one minute of that movie feels extraneous. Yeah. Um, everything flows very well into the next scene. And just watching an even longer movie be so much better than American Gangster in the same week really, for me, kind of hindered, like, my thinking. Because I watched American Gangster probably three days prior. And after watching Seven Samurai, all I could think about was how much better Seven Samurai was. And didn't have the same problems that yeah. American Gangster. Because American Gangster feels overstuffed and shallow. See, I don't. I, I did not get that feeling, though. And but. again, and maybe with some more connective tissue, I would feel differently. Yeah, it, but for me, it feels overstuffed and shallow. Now, I will definitely say this. It does not compare to Mr. Kurosawa. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, it know, is I mean, one of the greats. Yeah, that that's a whole other ball of wax. But that being said, I really, really like this movie. Oh, glad somebody lot. did. And so it, it, it was It was a really good – Ruby D is killing yes. it. We yeah. have not spoken about her She's Oscar good. performance. It is amazing. It's very, very she good. She is crushing it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's just a really, really solid film for me and a really, really excellent experience. And it was a Denzel blind spot for me that I was very glad to be introduced to. His performance as Frank Lucas is really, yeah. really spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I really, really liked it a whole bunch. So there you go, dear listener. You hear the um, the reviews. You hear the wrong ones and the right one. And uh, you know what to think about all of that. And you can make your own conclusion. Let us know all of what you think of American Gangster via the magical means that we all know as social media. So without any further ado, Mr. Dalton Stewart, tell them where they can be part of that social media conversation so they can tell you that you're wrong. Nope. Okay. I don't want to, uh, but I will anyway. Thanks. Because I, I'm a giver. Uh, you can find us, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and people beyond the binary, uh, on Twitter. That's at good underscore trash. Uh, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash GTM. Um, we are also uh, obviously on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. So those are places that you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show if that's something you're inclined to do. If you don't want to communicate with us but you do want to throw us your support, that's a great way to do it. Uh, and, again, that's uh, Stitcher, doc, StitcherRadio.com. Stitcher Radio, however. Sure. Uh, iTunes, uh, please rate and review there. And then, again, Facebook.com forward slash GTM and on Twitter at good underscore trash. Yes, indeedy. So there, be part of the conversation. Now we're going to play the game. Time to play the game! Time to play the game! <laughs> and we're back from our potty break, and we're here to talk to you all a little bit about our game this week, which is our top three non ABWD marathon films. Uh, that's right. Top three non-ABDWD Denzel Washington performances brought to you by American Gangster, American Gangster. It's a pretty good Denzel Washington performance, but here's three that we wish we could have talked about. <laughs> Man, I would, I'm kind of impressed with myself. Sorry. Well, uh, I don't know the acronym quite. Yeah, I don't well, think you hit it right. What, what I, what I, I think I, you said ABDWD. Yeah, fuck it. Nah, Close nah, enough. Our, our favorite WD40. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, these, these are going to be the performances that uh, of Denzel's that we really, really personally enjoy, uh, and we just couldn't make room for these performances in the uh, Always Be Watching Denzel Marathon. There you go. So, Arthur Gordon, let's hear your selections. Uh, let's hear them all, yes? No, let's go ahead and do roundtable. Well, okay, roundtable. Go with one. Only one you must choose and choose wisely. I choose wisely. Uh, I, the first one I want to pick is a little film from 1988 out of the U.K., 
called For Queen and Country, uh, which I just heard about. Uh, but it sounds really interesting as Denzel plays a retired British soldier uh, trying to adjust to everyday life. And so I want to see what that's about. I want to see if he is playing British with an accent because that's interesting to me. That is really interesting. Uh, and it is Denzel, so I imagine he can do everything. Uh, so I, I don't doubt the Denzel. So this is a Denzel performance you actually haven't seen, but you're just fascinated by his yes. existence. Yes, it's, it's very interesting to me that he yeah. can play a British character at some point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and, and I really wish we could have hit something pre-1990. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but he didn't really do a lot of... I guess kind of genre. He's, I mean, we did Glory, and he did these kind of other kind of prestige picks or supporting roles. Uh, you know, to find something where he was leading before 1990, I think would have been really interesting to talk about to see him, baby Denzel, very baby Denzel. There you go. Thank you very much for that. What do you say, Dalton Stewart, for your first wisely chosen pick? I wish we could have watched every episode of Saint Elsewhere that Denzel was on. <laughs> all right. I'm just kidding. It's a lot. He was on a lot of episodes of Saint Elsewhere. I believe he was on all 137 episodes. I think he, yeah, he's one of the main. He's one of the main doctors. Yeah, that would make a much longer marathon. I'm very kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, I know our next podcast spinoff down the road. <laughs> oh man. Uh, St. Denzel... Nowhere. St. Denzel's Fire. Yes. Um, My first pick is actually a film that Arthur just mentioned. It's uh, uh, Denzel's breakout performance in Glory uh, that he won his Best Supporting uh, Actor Oscar for. Yeah, the glory tier. I mean, we all know the glory tier. Denzel made one tier come out of one eye. Uh, it's it's so good. The whole performance is great, though. Uh, And a movie that I haven't seen in about 10 years, but as I recall... I feel like does a pretty good job of like showing Denzel and Cariolas like learning to be good allies to um, men that they're becoming friends with uh, because Broderick makes room in his performance for Andre uh, Andre Bauer. He makes room for uh, Denzel and for Morgan Freeman because Matthew Broderick is ostensibly the lead of that film. And I think he does it very smartly. This is a film about black soldiers in the Civil War, and he very wisely dials his performance to elevate those performances of the men playing the soldiers under his command um and and learning about you know making this battalion not about his glory but about you know their freedom um and again a great performance from denzel and a film that you know is not a bad war movie uh i i'm very picky about films about war um for you know reasons that we don't need to get into but i just you know i think it's important to have a a clear eye when you're talking about real world violence versus you know film violence uh, and when you take real-world violence and turn it into film violence, you got to be careful about that. And I think Glory does a pretty good job of showing war to be disgusting and brutal and unpleasant. And I think Denzel's performance in that film is really damn good. Absolutely. As you may know, I know you know Dalton, and I guess Arthur knows too because he was in the room uh, on my interview on People's History of Film. Glory was a pretty formative film for me personally. I recall. And uh, so, yeah, I totally echo your sentiments there. I want to talk about the film Ricochet. Um, Oh, yeah. We've talked about it a couple of times off air, and uh, Ricochet is this great little early Denzel performance. Again, more baby Denzel, in which uh, he gets famous because there's a mad gunman or bomber. I forget what John goes playing exactly in this moment but denzel strips down to his underwear in order to distract him and then shoots him in the leg when he's not paying attention and this is what gets him famous and then he gets out of jail and he's been plotting his revenge the whole time to take him down because now denzel's like the uh the district attorney or running for mayor or something this sounds like a really awesome movie it It does sound fun it's it's a lot of fun i wouldn't say it's a good movie but um that performance is denzel is figuring it out and uh it's devil with blue dress kind of level uh with denzel and it's good stuff 
and I liked it a lot, and I wish we would have talked about that for the marathon. Arthur, what's your next pick? Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to mention his first pairing with Jonathan Demme, and that is Philadelphia. Nice. Uh, uh, and that's really, you know, I mean, that's kind of, I think, probably more often thought of as, you know, Tom Hanks movie. It's where Tom Hanks won his first Oscar. Uh, but Denzel's so good in there, and they do, they, you know, they kind of have that. Um, Another film about allyship in some ways. Yeah. Uh, that and, and we see, you know, kind of these unlikely uh, pairing, you know, mm-hmm. the the this, the actively homophobic yes. attorney, yeah, uh, working with uh, this AIDS victim, and who is and, also an attorney, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's it's I, I'm a sucker for courtroom movies, a sucker for dramas, and it's just two great performances and a great director just working and and trying to bring awareness in a very timely film. Uh, yeah, I want to mention Arthur as you're talking about this uh, over at Birth Movies Death. I can't for the life of me remember who wrote the article, and I, I do apologize for that. But uh, one of the uh, writers over contributors over Birth Movies Death, when Jonathan Demme passed, uh, wrote an uh, an article just talking about how important to his family Philadelphia was. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's a really good write up. So I just yeah. want to mention that as you were talking about yeah. it. And so I, mean, I, I feel like over the last couple of decades, Philadelphia's kind of slipped under the radar, mm-hmm. you know. But I think it's still a movie that's got a lot of value to it and a lot of uh, you know importance to it, and uh, I, and it's good. And so I think you know that's one that would uh, be fun to talk about. Excellent. I like that pick a lot, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What's your next selection? Uh, this next one is a tie because they're it's two of my oh, favorite. Oh, come you on. cheater! You come on. I'm sorry, Boo. but man up, Buttercup. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out. All right. Is it Inside Man and Mobetta Blues? No. It is Out of Time and Flight because they're two of my favorite. Okay. They're both two of my favorite kinds of Denzel performance, which okay. is Denzel trying to keep his life from falling apart movies. <laughs> uh, and they're both two of his best character names. In Out of Time, he's Matt Whitlock. And in Flight, he is Whip Whitaker. Two of the best Denzel. <laughs> two of the best Denzel character names. Uh, Out of Time is another Carl Franklin film. Um, very similar to... Um, I mean, something probably like Ricochet, but even Devil in a Blue Dress. Just a really, really strong uh, thriller uh, kind of genre movie that um, I don't think a lot of people have seen out of no. time. Um, people confuse it with Deja Vu frequently for yes. obvious reasons. Uh, but it's really strong. Uh, it's just about this guy that's like the chief of police of this small town and this like small swamp town in Florida um, who's got to stop. He knows. He can see him being framed for a double murder. Um, and he's trying to stay one step ahead of the people his police department and the FBI and the DEA who were trying to also solve this murder. And he's like, shit, if they solve the murder, they're going to think I did it. Um, so that's really good. And obviously flight is, uh, the story of, uh, this dude who saved a bunch of people while shit faced. Um, I'm drunk right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, what a what a terrible spoiler! Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this. Uh, that was the the that spoiler. Was in the trailer. Yeah, it's when it's in the Oscar reel. I'm dr- uh, I'm drunk right now, and it's a great. I mean, it's it's a funny thing to say, but it's a it's the, the scene of the movie, and it's <laughs> it literally is like whether or not Whip Whitaker is going to get clean is like the the dramatic question of the film, and they spoiled it in the damn Oscar clip. Uh, but it's, you know, Flight is not a, a great movie. Uh, I, I think it's a little underrated, though, because it is a very good Denzel performance. It's one of the worst depictions of alcoholism I've ever seen, though. Because uh, instead of doing what all alcoholics do, which is buy his drink of choice, when he goes to the liquor store, he gets a little potpourri shopping cart. <laughs> I have never seen somebody with a drinking problem do that, ever. Can't confirm. Yeah. 
Uh, but anyway, th- that's my tie for um, Denzel's life falling apart and also having a great character name. All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Okay, i got to hit a heavy hitter right now, guys. we got to talk about Malcolm X. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, all right, yeah. Uh, I'm telling you what. So Denzel can kill a monologue. He yeah. thunders in a way that is absolutely electric throughout that film. And he's able to be given those opportunities to do subtlety. And we see this great character arc where we see Malcolm X before his conversion to the Nation of Islam. Yeah. As, it opens uh, with him in prison. As sort of like a sort of standard street hood kind of character. Yeah. And uh, how he develops from the zoot suit wearing sort of character into this religious and uh, uh, civil rights leader. And it's really, really amazing. And yeah. uh, Spike Lee's direction is obviously amazing as well. But, man. I, 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 it's so, so long. Yeah. Well, and we, we knew we could only do one Spike Lee Denzel collaboration, and, you know, Malcolm X kind of stands above the sort of films we do on this show. It's better than us. Yeah. Um, now, are all of us probably going to be watching Malcolm X by the t- when we uh, finish this marathon? I know I will be. Already uh, have. Because I haven't uh, seen it ever. <laughs> I, I saw like the first 30 minutes of it in high school and never what? finished it. Yeah. I just <sighs> never got around to finishing it. So uh, it's always been a blind spot for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought it up, Dustin. It's cause so good. I wish we had had time to talk about it. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your pick number third? What is pain? French bread. What are fatigues? Army clothes. Will we quit? No. We want some more. We want some more. I was going to push real hard for this movie, but I, know I you didn't it. think it would go. But remember the Titans. Yeah. It is yeah. near and dear to my heart. I know you love that movie a lot. It is so fun. I, I, I have seen this movie so many times, and I, I, I love Denzel so much. And, you know, this is a movie I think about so often with him. Uh, but I also love Will Patton, and I don't think Will Patton gets enough work. And so I think they have a great chemistry here together, working together. A lot of uh, young actors in that oh, movie. Yeah. Uh, Wood yeah. Harris. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. Baby Gosling. Uh, Ryan uh, Hurst. Yeah, from Ryan Hurst. Um, Ethan Suple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a lot so, of great young actors yeah, in that movie. It's so fun. And... Um, you know, it's kind of this kind of cheerful look back at racism in the sixties and in, in this kind of, it, it opens the dialogue with racism, but it doesn't really show you just how it, it engages with it racism. Exactly. Like you think a Disney, Disney movie, movie would. would. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. This is how we solve it. Right. Strong side, but not quite as much as glory. I mean, glory road was a little heavier. That's I remember. true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was just kind of them for, I think first making those that foray into that kind of world. But, uh, I, I just love it. I think it's just such a solid movie and he's so good. You know, delivering those monologues, like you said, he's, he, the Denzel. thunder and fire, Denzel. Yeah, his the King Kong ain't got shit on me, Denzel. Yeah, yeah. he is so magnetic in everything. And and remember the Titans is one that's just near to my heart. And so I would have appreciated talking about that. There you go. All right, Mr. Dalton Stewart, you got one last choice. Do, so I mean, don't waste it. I'm not. Don't. Okay. So obviously next week we'll be uh, we'll be touching on the old man action era of Denzel's career, and we'll we'll, we'll get to that later. I really wanted to do... Is this a three-way tie? No, this is just the one. I really wanted to do Man on Fire. Five-way tie. I wanted to do Man on Fire for this, this yeah, marathon. Yeah, you did. You really did. I did. But we did Crimson Tide without realizing it was a Tony Scott movie. And I was like, well, that's fine. No, I, we, we realized it was Tony Scott. We didn't realize it was Tony Scott's best movie. That's true. We also didn't know it was... I didn't realize it was a Tony Scott movie until I watched it. And I did not know it was his best movie. But Man on Fire is so good. His performance uh, as Creasy, I believe is his character name in that film, is so fucking good. It's just like a great, strung-out, tough-guy movie, which is a pretty standard trope in action films, but Denzel does it so well. Those scenes of him getting drunk and seeing if he can still do the trick where he unchambers a round out of his pistol and catches out of the air, seeing if he can still do it while he's drunk. 
Like, it's just great stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, him putting his life together to go on the warpath to save this little girl is just kind of a fun... It's a fun action movie. Uh, it's a really strong, really tragic action movie. It's kind of an action film I like. Uh, and Denzel does action movies where violence has consequence. And that's something I really appreciate appreciate about him when he chooses to do uh, ostensibly violent films. Um, but it's just such a strong performance and uh, one that uh, I, I'm very sad we didn't get a chance to talk about. Excellent, excellent. All right, so my last selection. You know, we've been talking about a lot of Denzel performances so far, and we've been using these sort of adjectives of, like, weather, of, of these senses of power, this mm-hmm. just sort of immenseness that Denzel Washington brings to the screen. Uh, there's, a, there's, I think, a really sort of underspoken, under underappreciated performance he gives uh, in which he is pretty much powerless because he's a quadriplegic in the film The Bone Collector. This was a film you were pushing for us to do pretty strongly as well. I was, yeah. And again, he's a supporting role in this, it, it, but it, and it's a police procedural. They're looking for a serial killer. It's doing all that sort of fun stuff that we tend to like because we love us some true crime. We love us some serial killer mythology building and that kind of stuff. And also, it's got a lot of CSI kind of goopy kind of stuff going on with it. I don't, you know, doesn't necessarily turn my crank, but to see Denzel in this powerless position mm-hmm. and still be able to be a mentor, uh, mm-hmm. this is a different sort of thing uh, than, than a lot of times what we see Denzel doing where he's giving a lot of the screen time to someone else. And so, uh, Bone Collector is a film I wish we had time to talk about. And I think about. I think we maybe got that with He Got Game, a right? Bit, yeah. uh, that kind of quieter Denzel performance where he is giving a lot of screen time to elevate another actor. And right. the, and that in the case of He Got Game, it's uh, Ray Allen. In the case of Bone Collector, it's uh, Angelina Jolie, right? As a, yes, Angelina Jolie. Okay, so yeah, well, those are man. Um, I want to watch all these movies. Well, we just programmed two more marathons. Yep. So, well, I just assume the next time we do a Denzel marathon, we're just going to get through the rest of the Spike Lee movies. <laughs> so, all it's a three parter on on Malcolm X. Yeah, it's it's a tr- we'll, we'll do a three parter on Malcolm X, and, and we'll do Mo Meta Blues. Blues and Inside Man and, and Glory. That's not a Spike Lee joint. Well, I don't care. Okay. Well, <laughs> well that'll be for the next one. We'll do we'll do <laughs> Glory. We'll do um, Much Ado About Nothing. Oh man, I thought about Much Ado. <laughs> I did too. Uh, you know who's great in Much Ado is um, Michael Keaton. Yeah, Michael Keaton Michael is Dogberry. Nuts. Oh god, he's so good. I got to do a scene. Nut. You want to get nuts? <laughs> I, I, Let's get nuts. I got to do a scene for Much Ado in high school, and I actively just copied Michael Keaton's That's performance. Great. Oh, just stole it. It's awesome. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So there you go, dear listener. We'd like to hear what you wish we had done instead as well. You can do that via those means of social media that you've already heard. But now I believe it's time to get down to business. And that kicky music means, as always, we're going to get some analysis happening with this film. I'm excited. It's going to be good time. It's going to be fun. Now, Dustin, you had a different experience than Arthur and I did. Uh, Arthur and I watched the theatrical cut, and you watched the unrated extended cut, and really that that made the whole world a difference for you, right? It really did. And I, I think part of what's going on here, if we can nerd out a little bit with sort of um, some basic film theory kind of stuff, um, the Russian formalists are massive influences on David Bordwell and sort of the experience of the phenomenological experience of watching the film, that we don't ex- necessarily experience what happens uh, moment after moment, scene after scene, bit of dialogue after bit of dialogue. We create a story inside of our heads. And they created two terms, uh, the Russian formalists did to describe this is the Chazette and then there's the Fabula, right? The Chazette is... Is there an English translation for either of those words? Um, no. Okay, it's one of those like kind of... Those, yeah. those concepts that 
take more than a word to translate. Shazette is the pieces. Mm-hmm. Fabula is, again, think fabulation, think fabulous, think mm-hmm. uh, the imaginary, the thing that you construct inside of your brain gotcha. while you're watching the film. And so what you guys were experiencing, if I were to put words in your mouth, let's see how well they fit, is that the Shazette did not necessarily add up to a fabula that made a whole lot of coherent sense. Yeah. Right? And what I experienced with it with the longer cut was a much more cohesive Shazette creating a fabula in my mind in this sort of novelistic telling of the story that, that really that really fit a lot better. Does that make sense? And so we can think about film as pieces and you can think of it as, again, the sort of individually constructed spectator's whole. And for me, my spectatorial whole, W-H-O-L-E, um, that, uh, that was uh, created by the film as you... you Bounce my eyebrows you at you. wiggle your eyebrows at me in a very provocative way, sir. <laughs> yeah, you're the one. I, you're I, the one talking about holes, buddy. Well, I know. That's why I felt the need I know. to specify. I wouldn't have said anything if you hadn't specified. <laughs> Down in a hole. Okay. All right. Well, we got singing back, man. It's been a long time for that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that's um, part of what goes on in film watching. And the experience. And, again, it, it, it's, it's a very much uh, – the burden is on the spectator in some senses to uh, construct that fabula well. But also the burden is on the filmmaker to make sure that the chazette, the pieces of the film, of narrative bits, narrative you know, uh, units of information, properly construct something that holds together well. And uh, for my money, I do think that that director's cut did so well. And I would be interested to see the theatrical release to see if that mm-hmm. chazette is part of the, you know, again, the fabula, the phenomenological uh, experience that you guys had that was a little uh, lacking in the film. I'm just really amused by the irony of, a, of, of the fact that we're having this conversation about cuts in a film where the cutting of heroin is uh, a oh, major yeah. plot point. Yeah, which would, you know, the, the, the purer that cut, the better your fabula. And Dalton is completely naked right now, so he doesn't try to steal any uh, of our information. Yes, no, I, I, I record every episode naked so that it's clear that I'm not stealing any Correct. content. I will never unsee what I have seen. Well, and they are, they're always telling me, Dalton, you can't steal ideas. Like, you can't smuggle ideas. Like, it, your clothes are not going to help you smuggle ideas. And I'm saying, yeah, I know that. But I want you guys to know that it's important to me that you know that I'm not taking anything. He wanted me to feel safe. You know what? I don't feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very interested, though. I, I kind of do want to. I probably won't, but I kind of want to rewatch the yeah. the longer cut of the film. It is a, it's three a hours I'd have to revisit. And for... I think that's the other the only other time I've seen this movie. I'm pretty sure that was the cut. I watched. I'm almost positive. Yeah, yeah, because I remember I remember things. Ten years ago, exactly. I remember specifically though there being moments that were not in the cut of the film that I watched. So, guys, uh, this movie came out ten years ago. That's wild. Yeah. I remember when this film yeah. was coming out. Yeah, it was a college. It was a it was a pretty yeah. big release. Yikes. So, Let's make a, a transition as we, we were talking about these differences in cuts. I do want to talk about the uh, storytelling choices that are made in the screenplay because uh, many of the uh, actors in the actual events um, have described the film as about 1% uh, truth and 99% Hollywood. And, uh, and I do, well, we just need to have this conversation about the inspired by true events, the made-for-film uh, kind of storytelling. And uh, to what extent does this matter? To what extent is this important? What, what, what are our thoughts? 
thoughts about film and liberties. And because uh, I think there's an extent to which it's good, and there's an extent to which it's wonderful to take great liberties, and there's an extent to which it's something of a miscarriage of justice. And so uh, let's just hit those nuances a little bit. What do you guys think about this? Go ahead, Arthur. Well, I think I mean there are a lot of factors here, and it's it's like this with any type of adaptation, whether you're taking a you know a thousand page novel such as it, which recently came out, and trying to condense that into a two hour. Movie. You're talking about a story that took place over the course of years. Yeah, about a decade. Yeah, and so to try and yeah, there's no. I mean, you want Shoah? I mean, what do you want here? Where we have like an eleven hour visitation of this Woo. story, I mean, and and to go. I mean, there's a whole other tangent about TV, which is able to do that kind of thing yeah. now, which you know we've never really thought about till the last few years, uh, where we can kind of ex- visit those stories in a better form on TV. Uh, but I, I think it's important that you know to be honest to the implications and mm-hmm. the real life effects of certain things. Uh, but when you're telling a story, especially when you're telling a story for an American audience in the cinema, you have to be engaging. You have to be entertaining. If you were, you know, the last, you know, we talked about the last 20 minutes of this movie being the most interesting, but if you're trying to be true to life, I mean, you're talking about how many hours of just doing paperwork, just yeah. doing counsel, just doing reconnaissance. I mean, it's boring. It's not a story. It's not a movie. It's just, you know, this information drop dump of you know just stuff and so as a director as a screenwriter you have to be able to go in and you have to take out all i think the key parts of these different people find these kind of youngian stereotypical archetype uh things that we can draw that can Mm -hmm. be somewhat accurate to life to let us know what these people were like and whether you know we do have to think about bias you know how do these people look you know we think we talked about wolf of wall street a long time ago and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Masters talked a lot about Jordan Belfort's own involvement in that movie. And what does that have to say about the movie and the kind of perception it takes? Does it say anything? And so there are all those elements that when you're making any sort of adaptation, especially one from true life, I think you have to make sure your story is engaging. One, you know, depending on what you want to do, if you're doing some kind of arty on arts thing, you know, do what you want. But if you're talking about a Hollywood release, uh, you've got to be engaging and you you just it's unrealistic to try and get every accurate detail in uh and it's going to be boring i mean that's just the cut and dry of it i think i think you're absolutely right arthur what i will say is what dustin's already brought up is that is not a problem until the degree to which you've changed things starts to belie a miscarriage of justice yes um and while i i believe that there was probably i didn't do enough research on what actually happened in this case to know if there really was a big release of um you know a, a big roundup of corrupt policing happening uh, but i'm gonna tell you right now if that didn't actually happen that is a miscarriage of justice it did not there, there were there were some arrests but nothing like the intertitles nothing nothing like they implied one of the judges <laughs> said that the intertitles were entirely false and wow. that really pissed well and i know the thing about frank was entirely false because frank did not go to jail for 13 years. He went to jail for a little bit, got out in witness protection, and then got busted trying to trade uh, uh, coke for uh, coke and money for heroin. And he got busted in a drug deal and went back to prison in the, until the 90s for violating his parole. So Frank did not get squeaky clean right away. It took him a couple of years. Um, and that I was annoyed by. And, yeah, now that we know this, now I'm really annoyed because it gives the audience the implication yeah. that the police were punished for their misdeeds, yeah. and they were not. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big fucking problem. And, you know, and that's I think the film wants to be Serpico and the Godfather. Well, in Serpico's case, it actually did lead to, like, a really big upending of things. 
But guess what? That was about another five years because I think this movie ends in the early 70s. Serpico was, what, 78, 79? Something like he that. Was, it was much later uh, in the history of New York policing. Um, and you can't don't, – don't take that away from Frank Serpico. Don't take that – don't take the justice away from people. Uh, you know, there's plenty of crimes that went unpunished. Don't lead audiences to believe that they fixed policing in New York because of Richie Robertson or whatever his character's last name was. That's the thing that I find irritating. Um, I'm also annoyed because I feel like – it drags Richie's name through the good name name through the mud uh, by implying that he was a bad father when he was not a father at all. He had no child. Don't imply that this man was a bad father. He wasn't a father at all. That's mean. And don't overly elevate Frank Lucas because even Frank Lucas, I believe, was like, yeah, I wasn't quite that nice. Like, uh, and I believe it was Richie um, and a judge. There was a couple of people who were like. Frank was not that good. He was not sophisticated. Frank was not that sophisticated. He, yeah. he, he was illiterate. He was violent. Like, you know, he wasn't as smart as Denzel plays him, which is fine. I think elevating Frank into a folk hero is, is fine. What I think is bad is to minimize, I think our cut of the film at least, minimizes the negative impact that Frank Lucas had on his community. I think our cut overly focuses on the positive aspects that he brought to the community. And, yeah, yeah. that's good. And Bumpy did that, too, uh, who was a real-life yeah. figure as well. The character of Bumpy, who dies really in the film, there's actually a film called Hoodlum with uh, Sam or, um, Sam Jackson, um, Lawrence Fishburne, and a, a couple of other uh, actors. Tupac, right? I think I don't think Tupac. I can't remember who's in it. I, 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 I know, know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's called Hoodlum. I, I know that Lawrence Fishburne's in the star, and it's about Bumpy, uh, the gangster that uh, mentored Frank Lucas. Um, and he was kind of the same way. He did try to create a myth around himself of being a, a figure in Harlem that was doing good um, you can't buy into that myth and, and while I think it is important to recognize cultural figures who were important in their communities you can't ignore when there's a problem and, and I think that speaks to a larger issue of trying to put a movement to one person because it makes it easier to cripple that movement it makes it easier to um, invalidate that movement and what putting this much glorification on frank lucas does is it invalidates being a community leader by saying well frank lucas was a community leader but he was also a drug dealer well you can be a leader that's outside of the government and you can be a community leader that works outside the government and not be a drug dealer um and i feel like conflating those two things is really troubling to me um and again i don't denzel's performance is out of the question because he is fantastic it's just a question of how do you adapt how do you adapt a story like this how do you make your protagonist likable and still let people know that they were not a good person yeah and to dalton's point i mean the the big thing especially in this kind of situation when you are dealing with true events Mm -hmm. is you have to think about how many people get their history from movies there is a response absolutely man they don't they don't look at the history books they don't watch the news Mm -hmm. they take these movies as the gospel truth mm-hmm. and you know and then you go wind up with people who like really believe the texas chainsaw massacre happened right and, and so you've you've got to keep that in mind and that is the the influence and the dangerous power of art yeah especially hollywood or, or even books to some extent but people don't read i mean realistically the majority probably are watching the movies or the tv show mm-hmm. and so you've got to keep that in mind you know uh, you know, if you ever get in an argument with somebody about, oh, did you know about this? You know, this is what really happened. They're like, no, I saw that movie. That's not how it happened at all. Yeah, I'm and, a, I'm and a so big believer. Element. 70%. If you're going to adapt something that really happened, I think it needs to stay at least 70% true. Even if that means cutting a bunch of stuff out, that's okay. But don't manufacture events and don't yeah. change events. I think the manufacturing of events is one of the things that really grosses me out. I think taking like three or four events and condensing, you know, or like three or four really important years and condensing it down to like six months, I think that's okay. But to, to manufacture events is really gross and to completely change. Uh, 
Well, you know what? Even manufacturing, like, connective tissue, I think, makes for better storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think manufacturing themes is not a bad thing. I, I guess it's taking something that really happened and tweaking it too much one way or the other. To, to overly vilify someone or to overly sanctify them either way is bad. Uh, I always think one of the ones I always go to is Braveheart, which is, you know, making this, this the, the idea that William Wallace was some people's champion. No, he was a fucking landed noble. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, good, good. Don't let people oppress you, but don't make it this every man story. He was yeah. a rich guy, yeah, uh, and that's some, and it, that's always a go to for me uh, in terms of you know historical and inauthenticity. There we go. Um, but for me, I, you know, I, I think one percent is bad. <laughs> let's let's keep it to at least seventy because Arthur's right. I think filmmakers have a responsibility when telling something about a true story. Where do you say based or inspired? I think American Gangster probably should have been inspired by a true story and changed a lot of the character yeah. names. Yeah, well, I think I'll only problematize it just a little further. I think we are fundamentally always dealing with lies when we're dealing with cinema. Yeah. And, and, and there are, again, sort of sophisticated watchers that are aware of that, and we need to do more and more to foreground that kind of thing. And the thing about narrative film is it is a little seductive mm-hmm. in that way. And there is this way in which it can begin to be assumed. But generally, I would say the general population would say, yeah, I watched the movie, and the movie's probably Probably not entirely true to fact. There's enough conversation that sort of goes around water coolers where people understand that. What's weird to me is how when we start talking about documentary filmmaking as a mode, mm-hmm. that we think that that's somehow objective. Documentary filmmakers are just as much giving perspectives inside yeah. and Absolutely. giving voice yeah. to certain voices, and they're um, they're minimizing other voices, they're marginalizing other parts of the story. Film always lies to you at 24 frames a second. Always does. And there's no such thing as realism when we're encountering this particular medium. And I think it's important just to approach that. And I think then once we have that awareness, I think anything's okay. If we're dealing with a document, we're going, this is what the documentarian is suggesting is the idea behind the life yeah. of Frank Lucas. If we're doing – this is what Ridley Scott's doing in this, uh, again, narrative sort of storytelling mode of dealing with this character's life as an inspiration, that we just simply foreground this idea that this is constructed stuff, that the document, the event itself is inaccessible to any of us and that we cannot get back the past. And one of the sort of lies that film gives us because it does mechanically reproduce events from the past that we are able Able to look at ghosts in a, in, a, in a sense is that it gives us this idea that we really are able to recapture that and I, I think as critics part of our obligation not only with the narrative filmmaking mode but also with the documentary mode is to say this is still perspectival this is still constructed this is still artistic even when there are attempts being made to give other people voices and to do a you decide thing they're still deciding on what you get to decide yeah and that's something that we don't say enough when we're dealing with uh, uh, true, true, real life events, and we're trying to uh, deal with them in a cinematic uh, kind of a mode of address. Does that make sense? No, it absolutely, does make sense, and I think it's why. Uh, God, three, four years ago, now we decided to do a documentary marathon um, that I, I'm really proud of. I, I think we we yeah. we did a lot of good stuff on that that marathon. Yeah. I'm really proud of that supercut in the front of it. Yeah, that's that's what I'm proud of. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um, and but Dustin's absolutely right, and I, I think what's important is. Once you get to a point in a screenplay where you have fundamentally changed the character of a real person, at that point you need to stop pretending that that's the same person. Right. And that's, for me, where I, I think the line is needs to be drawn. I recently just watched Birth of the Dragon, and uh, I love the opening uh, the, the The film uh, about Bruce Lee prior to his film career. Prior to his film career, there was a real fight that happened between him and Wong Jack Man. But the film sort of says, hey, there was a thing that happened. This film is inspired by that moment. 
and we're just writing a story that sort of wraps around that kind of thing, and it's all sort of whole cloth. And there's a way in which no one. Goes and the film is pretty upfront about the fact that it has manufactured basically everything in the yeah, film. Yeah, we're, right? we're we're talking about a legend right now, and we're doing a legendary retelling. And I think that's I think that's much more moral. Well, and I think what another. Uh, fictional character um a real character that has fictional takes as uh the the man that trained bruce lee at mon uh who was yes. uh, in you know the the, the it mon series of films starring donnie yen uh and then the um the wong kar wai film the grandmaster starring uh starring tony leung i think the grandmaster does a much better job of being like hey we've manufactured most of this so just like hang out man whereas it mon like i think those films i've only seen the first one and like half of the second one i think those try to do that thing that we were just talking about where they present things that were manufactured wholesale as fact. Yeah. And I think that's much more problematic than what the Grandmaster does, which is intentionally frames the life of this figure in Kung Fu in kind of a mythical way. Yeah, what we're saying, dear listener, we are with Jacques Derrida right now, if we can name drop. We need a hermeneutic of skepticism all the time. Now, un- explain all those things that you just said. Okay, Derrida was a French philosopher. Um, he uh, spelled difference with an A, and I'm not going to talk about that at all because mm-hmm. that's crazy town. But um, one of the things that Derrida and the other deconstructionists said is that don't trust anybody. Don't trust their narrative. Don't trust their storytelling. Don't trust their mode. Never, ever believe that you're getting everything. And always look for the margins. Always look for the marginalia. Always look for that which is redacted always mm-hmm. assume there's redaction happening whether uh whether implicit or not everyone is always lying to you all the time right no, but but either by omission or outright you know fabrication yeah and so yes uh skeptic uh hermeneutic of skepticism is a good thing and uh, if nothing else i think we learned that lesson from the film american gangster well that was a good time fellas we had yeah, a, yeah, it was awesome. I, you know what? Uh, is there anything else that anybody feels strongly about saying? We, I know, we really only kind of focused on, you know, the film as an adaptation of historical record, but um, I feel like I, I feel good. I mean, there's some on the surface stuff. Racism is bad. Yeah, it doesn't do a very good job of engaging with race at all. I don't feel like, and that's because it's a white director and a white screenwriter. I we think. don't like dirty cops much. No, uh, Vietnam was rough. Yeah. Here's my final my final question. Okay, Tony. Or Ridley. Tony. Ridley. Ridley's got the better individual films. I think Tony has a more consistent career overall. That's why I like Ridley better, because I just, I'm watching the movie I'm watching right now. That's I'm not fair. watching a career. I, I think if we're talking about who had the better career, it's Tony. We're talking about who's got the better movies, it's Ridley. Because, I'm sorry, Alien is better than any movie Tony Scott ever made. Ever. Blade Runner is better than any movie Tony Scott ever made. But when you look at how, many, how few misses Tony Scott had and how many misses Ridley has had... I think you got to give it to Tony. Yeah, there's still Hannibal. Hannibal's not bad. I don't love yeah, it. I don't love it either. Good. It's not great. But, you know, he's also got Exodus, Gods, and Kings, which Ooh. is a downright stinker. You've also got Kingdom <laughs> of Heaven, which is apparently interesting but flawed. But Gladiator forgives it all. Gladiator's way it? longer than it needs to be. <sighs> Can you apologize for just three good movies? Gladiator is the kind of movie that... Great be, movies? It, Gladiator's a bro movie pretending to be a smart movie. Ouch. Which is fine. Like, Shawshank Redemption is the same <laughs> way. Shawshank Redemption is, like, a decidedly, like, coded in manufactured masculinity film. It's a good movie, and it engages with that to some respect, but it's a movie that a guy, uh, I'm not, this is not an original thought. Shawshank Redemption is the kind of movie that somebody can say that is their favorite movie, and it's a very inoffensive favorite film. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Gladiator is the exact same way. You can still seem like a tough guy, and those be your favorite movies, but you can still seem deep because they're, you know, they're movies where people, you can cry. So, hmm. that is what it's I say. It's a scapegoat. 
the scapegoat film. Yeah, it's a it's a if somebody tells me Shawshank Redemption's their favorite movie, I assume that they haven't seen enough films. Gladiator is one of the first two DVDs I ever owned, and I love it unapologetically. And I, <laughs> I mean, it's it's cool. It's like, the, it doesn't make my top ten or top yeah. fifty. It's but. got it's got some fun action scenes. I'm just saying, it's too damn long. Oh, I don't think so. But okay. Well, we're going to move on, and uh, we're going to render a verdict regarding this film. We're going to talk about whether or not it belongs on the shelf or in the trash, which is really where the rubber meets the road, guys. And so, shelf or trash, else or instead, I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Shelf or trash, else or instead. It's trash. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, I I didn't think I was going to trash any movies during this marathon. Um it happened. Uh, it's, it's just there's better Ridley Scott movies. Um, there's better Denzel movies. There's better movies about crime. What should you watch instead of this? Uh, for starters, if you really want that troubled Denzel, go to He Got Game, which we talked about earlier. If you want that Denzel in a crime movie, go to Training, Game, Training Day from last week. Those are just two better Denzel Washington movies. Ridley Scott, we've already talked about some of his better films. Uh, but do you want a better, like, multi-year story about, you know, one man's fall into immorality, fall from grace to immorality? Then watch the goddamn Godfather movies. They're just better um, than this. And if you want a better story about uh, the, the negative impacts of corrupt policing and, you know, systemic injustice, watch The Wire because it does – feel novelistic like this film wants to it just you know took five years to do it instead of trying to cram it into a two and a half hour or three hour long movie it did it over that course of you know 50 hours of television it's just a it's just better all right well thank you very much for that mr dalton stewart mr arthur gordon what do you say show for trash else or instead i am ever so gently going to lay this in the trash same i mean i'm not like angry at it uh i i i like you said i mean there i mean there's a lot of movies uh, I think some of these other Denzel movies went on the shelf for other reasons. Either they're really blind spots that are kind of hard to come by. Uh, they're underappreciated. You know, American Gangster had its chance. It had a really big push. It mm. should have been an Oscar contender. It had the the, the pedigree. And it is it is a good movie. I, I will say it is a good movie. But I think there are other movies you should save your time for starring Denzel. It's not bad. It's just not great. Yeah. Uh, and so else instead, I think I've got, you know, the solid the solid trilogy you watch instead of this film. And I think Heat's the obvious pairing. I'm not huge on Michael Mann, but I think Heat's the obvious pairing where we got that same gimmick of two A-list actors who mm-hmm. only come together for an instant in the movie. Mm-hmm. And we're telling these two different stories of the cop and the criminal. And I think that's kind of the big pairing here. Uh, the other one I want to go with is Catch Me If You Can, mm-hmm. uh, the Tom Hanks, uh, Leo DiCaprio film. Because we kind of got that similar arc. We've got the cop, the criminal, and then we've got the criminal working for the cop in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, I think you talk about obsession. You talk about guys who are just trying to... To, to solve the case and putting their personal lives, you know, in jeopardy because of the the case in hand. And I think you watch Zodiac to, to finish that trilogy off. That is a really strong uh, p- uh, selection of three films to watch. Yeah. That'll just do all the things that American Gangster does better. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dustin, uh, are you going to shelf this? Or shelf, what? shelf, 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 shelf. You <laughs> yes. like it that much? I really do. do you, I, now, where do you? How good of a Ridley Scott movie do you think this is? Let's let's frame it in terms of Denzel's career and Ridley's career. Maybe like number five for uh, Ridley. For Ridley. What about for Denzel? For Denzel? Oh, I don't know. It's Denzel. So I know. Do you think this is kind of a mid-level Denzel the, film? The, yeah, this is this is like topper echelon Denzel, but this is on the low end of the top echelon. Yeah, gotcha. For okay. Sure. For Denzel, but I like it so much. It's just it's so many things that I really really enjoy, and I really think the pair for this movie is The Departed. I, I, I think it's a good that, pick. I, I can go with that. Yeah, yeah I, I think. I mean, that's like a yeah. seven and a half hour double feature. You know, so yeah, buckle up, Buttercup. But 
yeah, I, I would. I think I would have a great time thinking about the police and mm. thinking about uh, trafficking and thinking about gangsters and uh, different sort of different little views in gangsterism. You know, because we always talk about the Italians and uh, the Departed offers that Irish view. This offers that African American yeah. view, and I think it's important for that, that reason. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm still sticking with the Wire, man. Especially the oh, first, I like the Wire, the, especially a lot. the first season because it really I think does a much better job of capturing what a successful low-end drug dealer looks like. Because Frank Lucas is not an international drug dealer. He has got the market cornered on a town. Um, and I think that's what uh, The Wire does really well, is showing uh, Avon Barksdale's crew is, is run by Wood Harris and Idris Elba, who both been mentioned throughout this, as run by them. It shows what guys controlling an entire city block of drug trafficking looks like. And it does a better job of showing what their relationship with the police look like, looks like. Oh, I, w- I want to go back to something here real mm-hmm. quick, just for, for the movie, because the way you looked at him. In the theatrical cut, we see him meet with uh, Armand Asante, mm-hmm. and he talks about that international distribution. Yes. But we never see it play out. Yes. Right. Does it Does no. it go into – okay. He, uh, yeah, he kind of uh, boxed that. Okay. They, do, they do kind of imply that he might start distributing na- nationwide. But we never really see him leave Yeah, we don't really Harlem. get any of that. Okay, okay. Yeah, he has the opportunity, but we never really see what happens. I, I, w- I wasn't sure if it maybe went a little more it did, it with didn't, that than the, the other. It cut. did imply that Frank Lucas in real life was moving heroin across the country. Okay. Um, as we see it in the film – we still really only focus on his street level days. Even yeah. if he did take that deal that he gets offered, that's towards the end of the movie. Yeah. So, well, there you go, dear listener. This is a A B W D film that um, Dalton and Arthur maybe wish we passed on. That I'm very, very glad that it made the list of films that we did watch. Next week, we're going to watch a film that I kind of wish we didn't because I love it and I hate it all at the same well, time. We've only got two weeks left of A B W D, and it's it's time uh, it's time to get into the old man action era of Denzel's yeah. career, or as my my friend uh, Jay Linha was calling it, um, he, he referred to it as the "I'm an old man, but don't test me" movies. Ah, yes. Uh, so yeah. I'm old, but don't test me. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the most don't test me of his films. This was the the when we were talking about what Denzel movies we were going to watch, which old man action movie we we're going to do was a topic of hot contention. I yeah, think this was the hardest pick for us. And we decided to go with the wackiest of them, I think. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's the most good trashiest of them other than maybe right. two guns. But the show. Or safe house, no one is safe, safe no house. one's house. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be doing uh, the 2010. Is that the animated movie with the kids and there's the the house on the block and it's you know there's a ghost or something? It's a haunted That's, house. That is Monster House, oh, okay. and that was written by Dan Harmon. Yes, uh, and a, and uh, Rob Schraub and a third person who yeah. I can't remember. Um, but uh, no, uh, Safe House is the movie he did with uh, uh, oh fuck Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Gosling Ryan Reynolds. Oh okay. Ryan Gosling? Yeah. Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> so we're going to do... We're gonna Ryan do, Gosling uh, and Samuel Jackson. Safe house. <laughs> no one is safe. No one is house. Uh, that's... Did you, did you guys listen hey, to... Are, are you going to tell them what movie we're actually watching? Yes. Oh, yeah. Watch the book of Eli. Who cares? <laughs> Next week, we turn to the book of Eli. <laughs> we, we will be doing the book of Eli. Turn which, with me in your hymnals. The epistle. To the book of Eli. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you could uh, open up your hymnals, please. And this is, a, I believe, a Hughes Brothers movie. Let's get yep. the... Yeah. Okay. Yep. So there you go. Uh, so we're going to do book of Eli. Ten years after From Hell, they came back with book Man. of Eli. Those guys should have had a much better career than they've had. It's, it makes me really sad, honestly, because I like most of their movies. Um, but anyway, we'll be doing Book of Eli, and we'll uh, we'll watch Denzel I'm fight sh- Gary Oldman. I'm sure some very interesting things will be said by uh, the the frock. Uh, the, the the frock will speak. Is, isn't Flea in this movie? 
I know Mila Kunis. I feel like I think Flea's one of the henchmen. Okay, this is what I do know, guys. Is that um, you know one thing about a review show is that it only talks about whether or not you like a movie, which is about the least interesting thing possible that that you can say about (laughs) cups of tea and how you take your Earl Grey. But analysis is what makes the conversation about the films really worthwhile. And we just had a great conversation and analysis of American Gangster. We're going to keep having a conversation about Book of Eli. We're going to keep doing this stuff for you dear listeners so you keep watching we'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time thank you for tuning in to the good trash genre cast for all things good trash go to goodtrashmedia.com our intro music is a supercut by mr arthur gordon featuring music by hans zimmer and junkie xl our outro music this week is 110th street across 110th street by bobby womack i was the third brother of five Doing whatever I had to do to survive I'm not saying what I did was alright Trying to break out of the ghetto was a day-to-day fight Being down so long, getting up didn't cross my mind But I knew there was a better way of life And I was just trying to find You don't know what you do till you put under pressure Cross 110th Street is a hell of a tester Across 110th Street Pimps trying to catch a woman that's weak Across 110th Street Pushers won't let the junkie go free